What's up, everybody? This is Dylan Bentlosh from Only Real Fans. Unfortunately, I can't join you today, but I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Brian Riley, Luis Nario Malberg, and Simon Kincaid. This week, we're going to be talking about movies that fell through the cracks, particularly movies that I didn't get to see that came out in the last 10 years. As usual, spoiler warning for these movies ahead. We'd also like to remind anyone that if you have a month of suggestions for us to watch, you can feel free to reach out to us via our website, karentwins.com, follow the contacts page, and fill it out. Thanks. Stick around. Should be fun. this list right as uh things you never got around to watching right yeah yeah i mean well there were there were dylan's <laughs> movies that he never got around to watching that came out recently and he wanted to see them or he wanted to make us all watch them but now he's not even here to talk about them with us so i guess we're just gonna do our best <laughs> i don't even i don't even think he watched most of them i think he watched two maybe three some some of the ones though yeah, I know I know he's it. seen them before I know he watched Doctor Sleep and Manchester by the Sea like a while back. Okay, yeah, right. So Brian, do you want to just say what they are? Do you want to read out the full list he yes, gave us? The prestigious movies that fell through the cracks list: Call Me by Your Name, Twelve Years a Slave, First Man, Lost City of Z, Doctor Sleep, Inherent Vice, Manchester by the Sea, and Honey Boy. Movies that, are, if they're good, it's up to interpretation. And uh, popular movies that just, they fall by the wayside, whether because you heard negative review or you heard really positive reviews, but you just never took the time. Maybe they're too long or maybe they're just something you can't get yourself invested in like that. You have to kind of like get yourself into the mindset to watch them. But always on the list, always fell by the wayside. And now we force an opportunity to watch them and... We watched most of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I recognize this type of list of Dylan's for sure. I had seen most of the movies already on this list before this month, but I have many similar lists on my phone every year of like movies that when they come out, there's some kind of hype or awareness around them, some kind of buzz. And so you go, oh, I, sh I should see that. And you keep adding them to a list. You watch some of them, but you don't get around to all of them. And they just kind of stay there for a long time for several years. Um, so I was trying to think, so I, un I understand that where he pulled this from, and I was trying to think about what are some of the common threads connecting all these, because it's kind of a mishmash list, and I realized that they all fit in this category of sort of prestige movies. You know, they have a certain weight, a uh, certain importance behind them in the film sphere that make you feel like they're going to be worth your time or give you something. And, you know, I often think of those kind of movies. You know, they come out at a certain type of year. They're often geared towards awards season, and I've been thinking about that and considering how much of the reason I feel like I should see these movies is intrinsic to the movies and how much is just straight up the marketing, like the way it's presented to me and sold to me as being like significant. So I figured, I figured also just rather than talking about all of these movies individually, we could kind of use the list to talk more broadly about the type of prestige awards movie, uh, what some of the common traits are. And, and what makes something successful or unsuccessful yep. at being that type of film. Yeah, I felt that way with a lot. Especially 
most recently it was like Ford versus Ferrari. I was like, I don't really want to watch movie a two and a half hour movie about cars. Then I watched it. And I actually really liked it. But it's just funny how it works like that. Well, I mean, the obvious the, I feel like the obvious link between all these and it's worth asking, like, is there anything more to it? Is there anything more unifying about these other than this? It's just the casts, right? The cast. I mean, uh, I'd say cast and, and concept. Uh, yeah, especially like First Man or like 12 Years a Slave, like those the the general plots of those are something that's very um you know like bio like you know well-renowned figure like biopic or like you know going back and you know historical especially about like racial issues and stuff like those those two right there are always like on the money like oscar bait type stuff sometimes they work great sometimes they just don't like the like the birth of the nation remake that was really hyped up and I was interested in seeing it, and then I just saw all these negative reviews about it. And I was like, oh, I guess this one failed uh, for whatever well, reason. Yeah, that was, a, that was a whole separate thing of why that movie failed. But yeah, I mean, Lost City of Z, too, also fits into that Oscar bait biopic category historical. I think, you know, most of these, they're mostly straight dramas. And yeah, like you were saying, Luis, it's, it's cast. They all have very big name casts or more broadly just marquee names attached. So it might be like stars, right. you know, Joaquin Phoenix, Ryan Gosling, Shia LaBeouf, or it might be a big name director, you know, like Paul Thomas Anderson or Damien Chazelle, someone whose name people associate with making good movies. And that's what's hopefully getting people to watch them. Um, I think what you were saying, Brian, I feel like they often have this historical lens to them because right. they're sort of saying to you, oh, well, this is important for you to watch because it really happened. Like, this isn't just something that someone made up that may have an indirect relevance on our world. This is something that really did happen. So it's relevant to the world now, like in the case of 12 Years a Slave or First Man. Or I, I feel like when these movies don't do well, to me, it's because they didn't convince me that what I just watched was that relevant, actually, or as relevant as the filmmakers seem to think it was even if it is something true, something that's true or not. Yeah, that, was, that makes me wonder, like, for some of these movies, not all of them, but, you know, ones like, like First Man, for example. Um, I don't know who did the screenplay for it and who kind of, like, brought it together. But, like, was it, like, the initial screenplay just got tossed around like a studio, and you're like, hmm, mm -hmm. this doesn't seem like it's that interesting or that well written or something but if we get damien chanzel uh, and ryan gosling on it we're gold baby we're making bank off this like i always wonder like some of those movies like that it's like the producers don't think it's got that much to it but if they get like a strong number or grouping of people to get on it then it's just gonna like automatically be like great yeah i think so i think that is a common yeah calculation i mean uh do you, do you think there's a distinction between how producers feel? About, so did First Man do well in, in theaters? Yeah, like reasonably? I, don't, I don't think it did so great. Mm -hmm. I don't think it did great financially, and I, and I don't think it got the awards consideration they were probably hoping for. I think maybe just like technical categories. Mm -hmm. So no, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wonder how much they how much like producers distinguish nowadays between a movie doing well financially, like looking like it's going to do well financially and doing well in an oscar kind of way, in a, an awards kind of way. Because there's kind of a difference. Like, I mean, uh, I feel like Manchester by the Sea did well-ish, you know, at the very least. But it feels like it's not a very accessible movie. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's the pacing, the, uh, the, like, I mean, the nature of the score. Like, I, I can see a lot of 
gosh, I don't want to sound too elitist here, but even me myself while watching it, the, the scene where it's like, you know, I mean, not to spoil too much where this horrific thing from the main character's life, you know, is, is shown. It has this like really overblown orchestral score. And I, I, you know, even me myself, I, I liked the movie. I thought it was very moving, almost had a bit of an eye roll. Like, okay, we're taking this really seriously. Like, you know, uh, I don't know. Interesting distinction between doing well financially and actually having awards buzz. It did pretty well. Uh, apparently the budget was, it was it? nine, the nine, nine million dollar budget and 79 million box office earnings. So it's pretty damn good. Okay. Well, especially that's for, good. Uh, that's very for an good. Amazon. Yeah, that's very prime good. exclusive too. Well, yeah, I think traditionally the reason why companies make these type of movies is that there is a significant awards bump, so to speak, when if, if a movie gets good reviews and gets nominated, more people will go to see it because it's kind of like a stamp of approval of being like, yes, this movie is good and it makes more money. So I think Manchester by the Sea, yeah, nine million um, is not very expensive, but these movies can be very expensive sometimes. And, and that doesn't that formula doesn't always work. So it worked for Manchester by the Sea. But uh, I think for some of these, you know, like we said, it's it wasn't so successful. It's a bit of a gamble. Um, <laughs> there was actually a quote from David Fincher recently in an interview when he was promoting his movie Mank, but he was so cynical about it. He was like, yeah, there are two seasons of movies now in Hollywood, Spandex Summer and Affliction Winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which was, was just very funny. And I think, I, think, I think there's truth in that. I mean, the example, the example of Manchester by the Sea, like that scene you were talking about, Luis, that's, you know, that's peak affliction for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I thought that was funny what, David Fincher's perspective, but I was also a little bit like, all right, man, like you're David Fincher. You can make movies with literally anyone anywhere in the world. Like you don't have to just complain about this. You, you know, you have more power than you're pretending to have. Like, I don't know, but yeah. Mm. So big question. So inherent vice, I feel like stands out amongst these movies in a lot of ways. <laughs> yes. And that was a mammoth of a movie to get through. Very confusing. Definitely had a good pizzazz to it. Great cast, like ridiculous cast. Um, did not make back its budget. Did not make its back its budget. Un- Six mm. million under its budget. Um, what's, I mean, does Paul Thomas Anderson just get to do that? Does he just go to a producer and they're like, oh yeah, you're Paul Thomas Anderson. Joaquin Phoenix could be in this. Let's, let's do it. You know, I don't care. But it's like, I mean, trying to make a movie out of a Thomas Pynchon novel, let alone trying to make a, like almost three hour movie, I believe out of a Thomas Pynchon novel that has no very easy to follow plot. I, I wonder how this comes to be. I wonder, did you guys, I mean, so I know, uh, I know Brian watched it. Did, did you like it? No, not at all. <laughs> I, I, I thought it would be one of those movies where it's like, because of like the vibe and the cast of characters and stuff. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be entertained by it. Like, even if I didn't like it by the end of the day, I thought I'd still come back. And be like, you know, it was a pretty solid movie. You know, one I could throw on in the background or something like later in life. But I didn't I didn't like it like at all. Like I thought I was like very surprised at how much I didn't like it. Cause it was just such a bizarre, like confusing, not satisfying plot movie crap thing garbage wasting my time that <laughs> that yeah. yeah. no offense pta i like your other movies not this one yeah, yeah. i mean it, it i guess that just says like you know maybe it's a requirement to have a star-studded cast to be a prestige 
I should watch this movie. Not a sufficient condition, though. You can have as many stars as you want if your movie's a... That's also incomprehensible. Yeah, just mood more than anything. Right. Then, yeah, and also like PTA <laughs> and uh, Joaquin Phoenix, they're a good combo. I really like the master, but very yeah. different type of movie. And I'm also not familiar with the I author mean, it, that this movie's based on, so I don't know what he's like and his uh, writings yeah. like. Yeah, it's very, very, uh, very nebulous, very, uh, very wordy, verbose. Not no kind of you know. Uh, formal plot structure in his in his books it's yeah no a, a weird one to try and adapt i think maybe yeah no that's it's funny i actually i tried to read this book before the movie came out because i saw the movie in theaters i tried to read the book first i didn't finish the book because I, I, I was just reading it. i was like why am i why am i reading this and then i went and saw the movie and i was like wait what why am i watching this you know <laughs> i think i think what you said Luis, is actually kind of right for pta his movie's don't usually make money in theaters. Like I know I some have definitely, but I want to say like roughly half of them haven't made back their budgets initially, but he sort of just gets to do that because he's a recognizable name and he's got, he's got acclaim and, and, and all that as a filmmaker. I think some of the reasoning is because he is a significant filmmaker, you know, his movies will have more of a shelf life. It'll be relevant for a longer period of time, even if it doesn't do well initially, you know, people will come back and watch the movie years later because it was made by PTA. So I feel like that's part of the calculation. I mean, to anyone who's listening far in the future now, we can just save you the time. You don't need to do that with this movie. Just watch The Master instead. But Well, based on your opinion of the book, Simon, it sounds like it was pretty close to the source material then. Yeah, I guess you could say <laughs> it was. Sure enough. Yeah, yeah no, I, mean, I mean, it's certainly not an affliction movie very much, right? Like... It's trying to go for this like easy breezy yet like mysterious thing, and it's it's yeah no I mean it's got it's lacking a lot of the qualities I think we identify so far as like being part of being like this kind of prestige movie. It's just the cast. It's really just the cast. Yeah, true. I was actually saying to Brian before we started to record. From what I understand, like this was the book was Thomas Pynchon trying to write a more accessible book than his usual work. Like it's kind of a zany and wild and sexy and it's got a genre to it it's it's kind of mystery and then the movie was pta it felt like it was pta trying to do a funny movie something he's not really known for basically trying to do his version of the big lebowski and it just doesn't really feel like either of them succeeded because they weren't doing the thing that they were good at doing um yeah i mean going back to what you said luis we can you can have all the pieces you can have great cast great director great writer big budget but it still, yeah, it still doesn't guarantee anything watchable. If the formula isn't right or the tone or the subject isn't relevant enough, like if any one piece fails, the whole thing fails. And it, it makes you appreciate more when it's done successfully, I think. It, it makes me appreciate that more. But it's not fun when you have to sit three out through three hours of it not going well. I mean, it's, it's the, you know, okay, once again, sounding elitist. I would say, you know... <laughs> Ultimately, it doesn't matter much what you do. If you put Superman in a thing, lots of kids and therefore their families and nostalgia freaks who, you know, read the comic books are going to go see the movie. They might pan it afterwards, but they're going to go see it. Whereas, like, if I propose to you that, you know, I want to, for example, uh, you know, show you a very slowly paced, 
kind of very character driven movie about Neil Armstrong, you know, uh, that's not going to get butts in seats as quickly. You got to put Ryan Gosling on and stuff. And even then it's, you know, it's harder to do. I think it's like, you know, it's harder to do in the sense of getting people to like it, you know, getting and getting especially a mass audience to like it. You know, I mean, uh, that's probably just the, the trade off with any kind of more ambitious project, whether it be in the arts or otherwise. Uh, it's uh, once you the more ambitious you get, the harder it's going to be to pull off. Yeah, especially like, you know, Neil Armstrong, you know him as being the first man on the moon. But do you really as just an everyday, like average Joe, like, do you feel the need to learn more about him or his full life story? Most likely, no, you're good with the fact that, you know, that he was on the moon. And then um, same with like Lost City of Z. Like, do you really need to know the full story about this guy who wanted to find this this place, this like lost city that's never been discovered? Like, probably not, especially since it's it's never been rediscovered. So it's like you're watching basically like a piece of fiction slash nonfiction of someone and assuming what they think this place looks like and what's magical about it. And after watching that movie. It didn't seem anything magical about it at all. So it's like, um, so it's like trying to get people to care about these like really niche parts of history, but tacking on like a really impressive cast and crew to make you want to go see it and learn more about it, whether it's good or not or interesting or not. Yeah. What, you know, am I identifying slightly a pattern? I guess. Okay. 12 years a slave being the grand exception. The, the uh, two over slightly non-fictional movies didn't do, terribly well in award season or mm-hmm. or the box office yeah. it would seem i mean uh you know let's see like honey well honey boy you know autobiographical i suppose and it seems like that's been received rather well uh i'd say honey boy really rode on the coattails of a certain dare i say <laughs> la buffessance uh yeah no. short-lived yeah I, i'd agree with that uh uh-huh. Was was that at the was that at the height of it, or did that like start it, or is that the end of it? I don't really remember when it well, started. Well, so it's that and Peanut Butter Falcon, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was literally just 2019 because it was it was those two movies. Uh, <laughs> and you know, the sad thing is, you come away watching that movie, you feel like you know, oh yeah, so Shia LaBeouf turned a leaf. That's great. But yeah. no, I mean, then it, it seems like yeah, he's still a bit of a definitely. mess. Definitely. I mean, that movie <laughs> has like a it has a kind of feel goodness to it, despite it being kind of dark. Because you know the story behind it going in and you're watching it and you're like, oh, cool. Like, I'm watching someone work through their trauma. Great job, Shia. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, it's just, it's like, um, I can't think of the word. Like, it can, nope, that's not the right word. I don't remember. But basically, like, a buffer of being like, yeah, guys, like, I am a piece of shit, but here's why. So, like, it's okay. I, didn't, I don't mean to do this stuff. It's just how it was raised, you know? Well, yeah, now now when you're watching it with everything that came out recently with FKA Twigs, it feels more like, oh, you're just showing us why you're still a bad person. Cool. All right. Yeah, it, it changes the way you see it. It's all good. Uh, surprise, surprise. You're really good at playing that piece of shit dad. And now, uh, were, you, were you even acting? Method acting. Method Yeah, I think that's the danger of these films. Uh, or, or this very specific type of film, because it's, it's a little bit different. The prestigeness of Honey Boy isn't really tied to any of the other criteria we've been talking about. It's banking. What it's banking on is your interest in Shia LaBeouf as a public figure. So the way you see it is always going to be tied to the way you see him. And he's a pretty volatile dude. So it's maybe uh, not the best bet. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, I think if this isn't about Shia LaBeouf, people don't give it the time of day because, look, maybe controversial opinion in the sense that there is something slightly, not even slightly, there's something very self-indulgent about that movie, right? It's a form of, like, therapy as a movie. And, look, there, there, there's something to be said for that. It's, like, an interesting concept. Uh, the, the structure of the movie was good in terms of making it feel like a very personal experience and all that. But, like, who really, like, you know, you have that friend who just wants to use you as their therapist <laughs> yeah. for a little bit. Do you really want to hear that? Is that really like you might make the time because you like that guy, but I don't feel much for little Shia LaBeouf. So I don't know if I really wanted to give that yeah, the time. That's, a, that's I don't a really know. good analogy. That's, that's my take. I, I don't want to see too many more therapy movies. Out that's there. a really good analogy. The friend who uses you. Yeah, that's therapist. really good. I guess like I don't I can't think of any other movies that are like this, but like he basically instead of writing an autobiography, he just made a, you know, he just made a film about himself. So is this like the first, is this going to start a new trend? Like esteemed actors, instead of making like writing autobiographies or New York times bestsellers, they're just going to like make movies like write and direct and star in like movies about themselves. Yikes. Yeah. Well, I'm still, I'm still waiting for the Connie biopic with Will Ferrell though. That's whenever that happens, I'm ready for it. Wait. Oh boy. I don't know if you guys ever heard that in an interview, he said that he wanted Will Ferrell to play him in his in his uh, biopic. Whenever that happens, wait, who did you say? I I, saw, I missed the one word where you said who you were talking about. Oh, Kanye, Kanye no West. Way. He's, he he oh loves Will God. Ferrell, and he's like, oh. and whenever I make a biopic for myself, I want Will Ferrell to play me. Damn, <laughs> I I think that would probably make me more likely to see it. As long as John C. Riley's Jay Z, I'm here for yeah, it. Oh yeah, you got to. Oh, actually, oh that's so funny. There's a there's a good SNL sketch from a couple years back. That's just that. It's just a trailer for a Jay Z biopic, but with all the characters just played by white people. It's like, hey man, Dame Dash. Hey Kanye. Oh yeah, no I think way. Jason Sudeikis plays Kanye. I, I think I could really run the rap game, guys. It's 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 really well done. I'll I'll send it to you guys. You you would like it, Brian. <laughs> Oh my, how have I never seen that? Wow, I gotta watch that after this. I gotta go back and get that. (laughs) Oh man. Okay, so, so yeah, I feel like we're seeing some of the pitfalls of this type of film. We're talking about a little bit like how precarious it is and maybe some examples of them not being done very well. I feel like most of the movies, most of these movies on this list are pretty boomer bust. You know, there's a big gap between like the ones that worked financially and just like that stuck around in people's heads and the ones that didn't and just kind of disappeared right away. So to pose it to you guys, which, which did you actually like on the list and what makes this type of movie work? in your eyes what makes it actually come together besides just checking the boxes of you know cast director concept Uh, so well i would say checking all the boxes as you said but actually like doing it well because i think a lot of it comes down to the story right so like you know you have good actors you have a great director but if the screenplay attached to it isn't that strong or like the story is just slopping all over the place. Or even if you have a bad editor or like not an experienced editor or something, it could just go 
really south. Mm-hmm. Like maybe Inherent Vice would be a lot better if it wasn't so mishmashed, you know? Like if they just took like one or two aspects of that book and made it into a film. Because like from my understanding when I watched it, the main plot ended with like 40 minutes to go. And I was like, what the hell is going to happen after this? Yeah. No, I mean, you know, inherent vice. I, I, sorry to keep on talking about it, but it is a, it is a conundrum to be figured out. I suppose. Uh, it's. I mean, I think it's one of those movies. If you take any individual scene from it, it's Joaquin Phoenix or Joaquin Phoenix and some other phenomenal actor playing an interesting character, and it's it's good, you know. And they're they're living in the, they're really embodying this, you know, seventies moment and stuff. Yeah, it's just put it all together and didn't quite work. Totally. Um. If you don't mind me interjecting here with the the, the ones the one I thought I liked most, it's I think it, you know I, I shit on it a little bit with regards to the overblown score a little bit, but I, I think uh, Manchester by the Sea really one of my one of the movies I've enjoyed the most actually over the last few years. I saw it probably maybe like last year, first mm-hmm. time. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean just uh, very authentic. I mean this guy uh, Kenneth Lonergan, it's uh, he's got that he's got that authentic dialogue that you know way of eliciting it from the actors down pat. Really, I mean, it felt very authentic, very authentic. Also, <laughs> gave me a new appreciation for New Englanders. They are a hardy folk. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, we, we all have that New England connection of of some kind or another. We live there. You know. Yeah, you definitely get a sense, a good sense of that sort of specific person or that culture generally. That's like so scrambled up on the inside but just just keeping the lid yeah. on yeah it makes it interesting if you if you have people you know like that it makes it really interesting to be like what would happen if this guy suffered a terrible experience and was in a really vulnerable position you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah don't need to watch that so i do i know what you're talking about in terms of new englanders but not the course of events that happened in the film no oh, okay we'll but see of what, we'll of see what, what i watched definitely call me by your name is my favorite um, I just, I think I was just, I was surprised how, how much I liked it. Cause in the beginning I felt like it took me a while to get into it, but then as it kind of progressed, uh, I just really liked the course of events and I really liked the, uh, the original music by, uh, I can't, I can't remember pronounce the name. Sufjan, Sufjan, Sufjan Stevens. Yeah. <laughs> he just, he's just a great artist, but like, um, like those songs were like beautiful and it really, for, for a relationship that. I still, by the end of it, didn't feel strongly connected with and like want it to progress because it felt kind of one sided still in a way or like like a summer fling kind of thing on one end and then really passionate um, and serious on another end. Um, Like seeing them together while those songs played really like made me more invested into like what was happening and like wanting them to be yeah, be together. I, I think that's just the perfect marriage of an artist, of a musician to a movie, and that just exactly mirror each other. Just the tones. Like Sufjan Stevens music is so so emotional, tender, you know, heart rending. His his music is just like it's just the tear running down the cheeks in of that of in that scene of that movie. Chef's it's just, kiss, it's just the perfect. cherry on top. <laughs> Ideal. <laughs> Yeah, that man knows what he's doing when it comes to mm-hmm. love songs. Like he's got a whole album about a, I think his grandparents' love story. Uh, yeah, and then he did a song. Yeah. He did some songs in the first season of This Is Us. He knows he knows how to do it. He knows how to make you feel things for for people. Like at those heartstrings, like a guitar. <laughs> yeah. Man, he's got a he's got a he's got a 
one way track to Brian's shriveled little black heart. You make, make it grow three sizes. <laughs> Grinch style. <laughs> it's just the way you said, like, you know, feel things for people. It's like, you don't usually feel things for people? or <laughs> Well, people I've never met, I should say that. <laughs> These emotions things, they really caught me off guard. I, I didn't know where that was going from. What is this feeling? Uh, just tear? Oh, no, what, just sweat. What, just sweat. What, what, so, my eyes are sweating. <laughs> <laughs> not even, not even on the treadmill. So, uh, so I guess you know the two real big successes here are probably "Call Me by Your Name" and Twelve Years a Slave," right? I mean, those. I mean, mm-hmm. "Dog Mansion's about to see yes, but I, I don't think that one's had as much staying power in the you know collective consciousness. I guess right? not what, a what phenomenon you got? I, of I a movie, but successful. Yeah, yeah, I. So I didn't see either of Call Me By Your Name or 12 Years Slave. I will definitely go ahead and watch them after this. Uh, but what, you, what do you guys think are some commonalities? Just trying to get at this idea of like what makes a, you know, commercially and awards friendly, you know, movie. And, and, and one that also kind of like sticks around, mm, particularly yeah. in the modern day. I, I, I think it's interesting because they're so different and 12, 12 Years of Slave is the only one on this list I haven't seen, so I can't speak to it too specifically. But my best estimation like, they, is that they both, they both do a good job, a really good job of convincing you to buy into the stakes of the movie. Like, and the stakes are, the stakes are completely opposite. You know, in 12 Years of Slave, it's so intense, so obvious what the stakes are. I don't think it's too, it's, it's not too hard to make the audience understand the gravity of them, you know, you know. Uh, this man is literally kidnapped and forced into slavery and is abused and mistreated. He's completely beset by these external forces, and it's giving you an idea of the world at that moment through the story of this one person who is a real person. That's also adding to your knowledge of like just being drawn into this film and being invested in what's going to happen in it. And then Call Me By Your Name is the opposite because it's so internal. Like, the stakes are so internal. It's all about things being unsaid and insecurities and inner passion and jealousy and, oh, does this person like me? Like, wanting to be loved and noticed. And it's an e- in an easy way of looking at it, the stakes are a lot less high, but it does a good job of illustrating what those stakes are, like what those moments feel like and making you feel them along with the characters. And I'm And as opposed to 12 Years a Slave, I guess it's maybe there may be more commonly relatable feelings, more relatable stakes to a modern audience that everyone's experienced. So I feel like for both, it's like strong central characters, stakes that are clear and that people can connect to, as opposed to, you know, an obscure colonial explorer, or a, just a stone detective kind of farting around. <laughs> um, yeah, like, like neither, neither of those two movies ever leave you questioning why you're watching what you're watching. You just buy in and they give you what you came to see, which hmm. is a well-made movie. Good point, Simon. So the only one we haven't talked about from this list yet is Doctor Sleep. Oh, well, I haven't seen that, so Sleep? I can't talk about it. Doesn't really fit neatly into the categories we've been sort of talking about. It's not so awardsy, but leading up to this, I, I put like I put all the movies I haven't seen on like my watch list, and I go through it, and like on the app that I use, like it tells you like how long they are. And that's the longest one. And it'd be like 11 o'clock at night and I'm about to watch a movie and I'm, I look at it and it's like mm-hmm. 152 minutes. I'm like, no, this is not happening tonight. I'll watch it another day. Keeps falling through the cracks on my end. But, I, but, but of all yeah. the movies on this list, I'd say besides Call Me By Your Name, that is probably like the top one that I've been meeting to see. And I just keep like pushing it off. 
but that one is not an awards centric hype kind of movie because leading up to it, you know, it had a good trailer. It had an interesting, um, you know, good cast with Ewan McGregor um, and a good and pretty fairly notable director behind it. But after it came out, you don't hear any commotion about it. So, like, not only did it fall through the cracks in your own watch list, I think it fell through the cracks uh, on the whole, like, cinematic uh, community, too. Yeah. For whatever reason. I mean, such is the lot of horror movies often, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. True. Except for ones like, you know, like Hereditary. People still talk about that movie. Even if you haven't seen it, people still talk about it because of just how polarizing it is. I could could talk about Hereditary for a whole episode, so let's not even... (laughs) Let's not even go there. Ooh. I mean, I think it's your month coming up, Louis. So I mean, yeah, you, it you is. got the ball next. I should. I, we should. Ju- you know, I'm. I'm always pulled to just do like a tour month and just go for like you know, just go for all the. Oh God, what's his gosh darn name? Um, Hereditary and uh, oh, Ariaster. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm starting. I think I'm hanging out with my grandma too much these days. I'm starting to turn into that old guy who forgets <laughs> names of everything. As my grandma says, "Is your mind like a sieve?" Or things yeah. just keep falling yeah. through it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you were hanging out with your grandma and that was like somehow connected to hereditary in some way. And I was like, oh, no, man, that's, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah. not good. I'm not sure I want to hear did about I, that. Did I, did, did I definitely, okay, last thing I'll say about hereditary, did I definitely call my mom to tell her I loved her the next day? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Was she around a piano when you said that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've never I've never told my mom I love her in a more frightened way than I even, you know. Please do not try to murder me. Yeah, so clearly it did something. It had some effect. So did you see Doctor Sleep, Louise? I did not see Doctor Sleep and uh y- you know, it didn't really speak to me that much. I- I've never been huge into the Stephen King based movies. I mean the Shining is great, but uh I didn't expect this really to have much. I, these long waited awaited sequels typically don't ever hit me the same way as the original. And, and it's the book itself is a long awaited sequel, me. too. So that came out this de- uh, this decade or this oh, past no, yeah. 2010s. OK, well, well, there it is. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that's that's definitely fair. I, I agree with you for the most part on the whole long awaited sequels thing. Like they never not really ever living up to the hype. And I'm, I'm not the biggest Stephen King guy, but also I'll side with Dylan on this one. I'll, I'll say you guys should see this one. I thought it did a good job of carrying on the story, sort of feeling connected to its predecessor, but still being its own movie, you know, it, like and it wasn't trying to outdo The Shining or anything or it didn't try too hard to be amazing. It was just like it was just a solid movie. Maybe. The, yeah, maybe the only one on this list that wasn't kind of on this like pendulum of great to terrible. It was just like solid. So, yeah, mm. I, I could say you should see it. I will. I wonder if it like um, was overshadowed just by the the wave of popularity from it from the it movies too because like mm. they came out especially chapter two I think came out like I think chapter two and I think the Pet Cemetery remake all came out within a month of each other. Oh god! And it's just like I feel like by the time Doctor Sleep came out, people were just exhausted. Like ah, no more of the Stephen King stuff, guys. I haven't liked uh, what I just saw. I'm not gonna I... get into it again. I saw the Pet Cemetery remake. It was so bad. It was terrible. It, oh it man, made me mad. Of like, why did I? Why did I spend my time watching this? Why did I do this to myself? <laughs> why did I do this? Well, so uh, I, I, you know, I had an idea to do a month like that. Just, just like movies that are brutal to watch, <laughs> and I, I may yet do it. I may yet do it. Well, are oh, you going gosh. brutal? Brutal like 
like there's nothing redeemingly entertaining about them or like movies that are kind of like bad and they're they're fun to make fun of or like bad oh good. no 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 you're straight up movies. like i want to like straight jump out the window <laughs> yes no mm. i've thought about it you know we, i think we've had too many po- people on this podcast lately i think we need to we need to we need to get some people you know okay, great so i over, uh, over the edge. be on next month then enjoy guys <laughs> yeah let me know how it goes oh, i'm not gonna be well, here. i don't know whose month it is i don't know whose month it is it your is, month so. louise it isn't my month wow okay well i gotta start well okay i've already i've you know i've got one in my back pocket so if i don't know if we're there yet or if we have anything else we want to talk to talk well about. If, you're, if you're going well my only other question i have for you guys is do you get do you like do you get more frustrated watching a prestige movie something that's on the should watch list and then it not being good like because the movie is positioning itself as having something to give you or some some new knowledge or appreciation or some real emotion to give you does it make it worse when it doesn't live up to that as opposed to another kind of more popcorny movie that like doesn't promise you as much or you don't expect as much from it for me uh, i think most of my frustration comes from the fact that like these movies have been on my watch list for a long time and I finally took the time to watch it and I didn't like it. Like that's the part that like irks me more than more than any of the other factors you just mentioned because it's like why was it on my list? I should have just mm-hmm. let it continue to fall through those cracks. I should have just forgotten about this movie. Yeah, it's, it's like just been on uh, your brain for... like especially cuz a lot of these are 2 to 2 and a half hours it just feels like a waste of my time that I decided to invest all this time into these movies. So that's okay. just more of a more of a personal vendetta against them for wasting my time. But when they are really good and they live up to the hype or they surpass the hype, then it's it's great. You know, like I'm glad I watched them. I'm glad I finally took the time to do it. And ones that I would, you know, obviously want to watch again. Okay. So uh, with that, do you guys want to move on to what I've got in my back pocket here? Sure. Sounds good. Yeah. I'm a little scared. Okay. Well, it's you. You can watch two of the three of these. And you know what? Actually, I'm just going to go with the two. The third one I can I can get rid of. And they are hard to watch movies. They're both hard, hard to watch to movies. Watch. One of which is, I shit. think, very rewarding. The other one, I think, is irredeemable. And I'm curious to just see what you think, if you can even get through the whole thing. So you've seen you've seen both of these, Luis? You've I, seen have, I have uh, I have seen these. I they are ones I okay. feel strongly about having other people watch, if I'm being honest. Because okay. you want us to, you just want us to suffer, or you just want to finally find someone to talk to. I, okay, about so how the bad two movies, are. the two movies are My Dinner with Andre, which I think is something that people should watch. It's hard to get through. It's long. It's entirely dialogue between two people in an unchanging setting, but okay. I think it's fascinating. The second is Limits of Control, which I mm. hope you guys mm. might even enjoy to to, to shit on. I ain't even heard of that one. It's weird. Yeah, it's What's, very strange. I kind of wish you hadn't told us which one you liked and which one you didn't, <laughs> and you could have let us just watch them both and figure out, try and guess which one you thought was irredeemable and which one was good. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. L- L- limits of control, I don't know, get Great. heavily inebriated, get in some kind of a headspace because it's a trip. But isn't... Um... Dinner with Andre, it's like, is, is there kind of like a meta level in that movie? I don't know much more about it besides the fact that like... It's uh, basically a movie that is... The actors are playing is, themselves it, in a way, it's, right? It's a, it's a conversation. Yeah. 
That's okay. that, that's it's not like getting comedians away and cars eating coffee, but a movie. In a way, sort of. It's an interesting conversation. It's well acted. Um, well, you know, make your opinions. Make your own opinions. Make your okay. own opinions. Out of curiosity, though, what's the third one? Uh, well, so I was going to say uh, the uh, gosh, I'm blanking right now. The the tree of life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you heard of this? That I've heard of, of life, but I know seen. nothing about it. Yeah, it's it's another. I'd say, yeah. I'd say it's worth watching. Really? So I hadn't seen that one. So then I, I decided I didn't know if it was really going to fit the theme. It seemed like this long, very ambitious movie. And that kind of like... do with My Dinner with Andre because it's kind of the anti My Dinner with Andre. Like if that movie is all, you know, it's all conversation in one setting. Tree of Life is just jumping through time and space, like not a lot of constancy, little dialogue. It's all... It's all very cinematic in the kind of opposite way of listening to people talk is cinematic. Well, I mean, uh, it could it could be. I kind of want to keep it a two just because I feel like these are both like real schleps to get through. So <laughs> I didn't want to give it through. Well, I mean, I appreciate uh, yeah, your, your well, forgiving nature for this month. Bless. Yeah. Very interested to see what you guys. It's, so it's Jim Drummouche is Limits of Control. If you guys are at all interested. Uh, it's done right. some good stuff lately. It's done some good stuff in general. This is, this is, uh, and maybe at his worst, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm not that familiar with his um, filmography. Honestly, I think the only thing I've seen with him is uh, this series from the '90s called Fishing with John. This uh, musician, John Lowry, I think his name is. He just—it's like comedians in cars getting coffee. He just has a couple celebrities he goes on a fishing trip with. And each oh, episode's wow. a different one. And Jim Jarmusch is uh, one of the guests. It's actually yeah. pretty funny, too. And the narrator is really weird. <laughs> and so I recommend that. So I think they're okay. all on YouTube. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, Jim Jarmusch recently did uh, Patterson with Adam Driver. I don't know if you guys heard oh, of that one at all. Yeah, I've heard of that yeah, one. So that's, that's Jim Jarmusch. And he did a zombie movie recently yes, too, that, right? Yeah, that was that was interesting. That was uh, I forget what it's called. I think I've only seen yeah, I think I've only seen one of his movies. I mean, it's always interesting when you start watching movies from a celebrated filmmaker, but you start with their worst ones because <laughs> that's actually that's actually kind of what happened to me with PTA. I think Inherent Vice was the first one of his movies I saw. Like I said, I saw it in theaters, and I came in with high expectations based purely on reputation alone. And when I left the theater, I was like, wait, what? 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 Really? Like this guy? But <laughs> this guy? I don't get, I don't get it. <laughs> uh, so, Lens Control and Dinner with Andre. Okay. And Tree of Life, one. you were feeling ambitious. I was, I was feeling ambitious, but I think we're, we'll keep it to the two. I, you know, will it give us as much to talk about? Maybe not. Will we go really deep on a couple movies? Hopefully. Always fun. It's always fun to do that. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, looking forward to that. Pleasure talking to everybody. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Yeah, soon. Yeah. See you guys in a month. Peace.